From WAMU 88.5, this is Metropocalypse. I'm Martin DeCaro. Next time you're on an underground metro platform, take a look up and around you. Are you thinking post-apocalyptic landscape, dark, moist, and loud? Well, that's not how it was designed. Coming up this episode, we'll talk to historian Zachary Schrag about how Metro was built in the 1960s to be everything that the New York subway wasn't at the time, safe, clean, and reliable. Sound like the system you know today? <laughs> we'll find out what happened. Episode 12 of Metropocalypse launches now. The DC Metro uh, historically has been a great strength of this region. The idea was to make kind of an underground street, so the vault serves as the sky. It gets a lot of comparisons to the Death Star. If you get the lighting right, you can make it calm, not, not glaring. Zachary Schrag is the author of The Great Society Subway, A History of the Washington Metro. And in his book, he argues that Metro's iconic station design is one of the three best examples of modern architecture in the Washington region. The other two are the National Museum of Arts, East Wing, and the Dulles Airport Terminal. So what does Schrag see that most commuters don't? Well, first and foremost, he says you have to see Metro and its history in context. So there are a number of design principles that went into the metro stations. Uh, one of the fundamental one was to make it a public space rather than a merely utilitarian or commercial space. So if you want to see utilitarian, you can go to some degree to New York, uh, even more so to Toronto, where the ceilings are very low, there are columns everywhere, lots of white tile, um, frequently compared to a men's room, a clean men's room, but a men's room nonetheless. Um, and then a commercial space would be one where there are ads plastering every possible surface. Um, London is a pretty good example of that. Certainly in the 1960s it was. I think some of the newer stations um, are a little grander. So it was supposed to be a public space, and then the idea was to make kind of an underground street. So the vault serves as a sky, and the platform serves as a sidewalk. It even has granite curbs. And if you get the lighting right, you can make it calm, not, not glaring. Um, it wasn't supposed to be bright, but it was supposed to be visible. If you want to see what the vision was, probably the best places to go to Union Station, not the metro station, but the Union Station itself at night, and you'll see the indirect lighting shooting up the vaults. And it's just a very delightful, calm space. When you get off a train at night and um, are walking into that, um, open area. It's it's really a very pleasant lighting design. Who was the architect? And what uh, do we know about him? The uh, main architect was Harry Weiss of Chicago. Uh, the lighting designer was William Lamb. They also worked on Union Station when it was renovated. Weiss did a lot of his work in Chicago. He built skyscrapers. Um, he built stores. He built a jail. Um, but probably today and in, in the future, he'll be best remembered for his work on Metro. Um, it gets a lot of comparisons to the Death Star. There's a yeah. sa- scene in Star Wars. Uh, I'm not a Star Wars nerd, but I do remember the movie where there's, you know, I guess a shaft, this really big <laughs> shaft. Uh, I, I don't know, one of the Luke Hansel or whatever the name is, went f- flying down it or yeah. something like that. I don't know. When I when I first started using Metro and I moved down here, I thought the stations were great. They were clean compared to New York City. Well, I think in general, the more time you spend on the New York subway, the more you appreciate Metro. And I say this as someone who's born in New York, who's lived a lot of his life there. Um, I, I can um, trash the city if I want. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, just to be able not to have that much gum to step on and to sit on is, is a, a real luxury that I think Washingtonians don't always <laughs> appreciate and the absence of rodents and, and so forth. Um, but uh, yes, uh, people in 
the 1960s, those were not good years for the New York subway. Um, It was grimy. It was loud. It's still very loud. There was crime. uh, And people were afraid that no one with a choice would ride a subway. Um, So one of the purposes of making metro architecture grand and open was to make it inviting and also to make people feel safe. Um, At that point, safety meant safety from muggers um, rather than, uh, you know, physical safety from fires. But it's very hard to hide in metro. Um, There aren't a lot of things to hide behind. There aren't a lot of dark corners. One of the debates in the early design system was whether to have elevators. And one of the big arguments against elevators was that would be the least surveilled space um, and the space where misbehavior of various sorts could happen. And in fact, you know, I think if people are urinating in metro, it's most likely to be in the elevator. Um, so that was not an unreasonable concern. I, I think that people who demanded wheelchair access to metro had the better argument there and they won. But uh, metro was in, in many ways designed to be the antithesis of the New York subway. And unfortunately, what we're seeing with the uh, decreased reliability and uh, decreased maintenance, which is visible in things like uh, light bulbs not being replaced or not being cleaned, and a you know a dirty light surface um, will put out a lot less light than a clean one. Also, the vaults not being cleaned and so forth. All of that has decreased the experience of metro. And then, of course, in many stations, you see these you know broken ceiling tiles and and various other signs of visible decay. Uh, that is very sad for those of us who remember metro in the 70s and early 80s. We're going to take a quick break, and when we continue, I realize my lack of Star Wars knowledge might rankle some. So we'll come back to that and hear how similar the aesthetics between the movie and the rail system are. Stay with us. It's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club. We continue on Metropocalypse. A couple of minutes ago, I made reference to the Death Star from Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, of course. Let's stick with that. Here's Zachary Schrag. Well, okay, I'm a Star Wars fan. I, I think Death Star is fine. Um, if you really want to see the Death Star, uh, actually, I was in London last year, and, and the Westminster Station is... That is Death Star. That is much more Death Star than anything in Washington. But, uh, yeah, Metro opens up in 1976. Uh, Star Wars opens up in 1977. There is definitely a shared aesthetic there. And, you know, again, having uh, come to D.C. in 1977 um, and seeing Star Wars at the Uptown, I I do associate the two and, and remember that sense of wonder and cleanliness and speed. And so it is uh, very sad for me, both as a historian and as a resident of the Washington area, to see this decay. And you're still riding those rail cars from the 70s. The uh, 1000, rail car number 1000 and 1001 are still out on the line. And let me just say this. 
I still like the orange. Um, I, I, I'm sorry to see the some of the design decisions of the 1970s go away. I think the 7000 series, whatever else you say about them, are ugly, ugly cars. I, I would vote for extruded aluminum over those nasty rivets any time. Um, and I hope that some of those 1000 series rail cars will be preserved in museums um, so that people will understand uh, the, the design aesthetics there. I don't miss bell bottoms, but I think earth tones and orange are just great. All right, there you have it. Zachary Schrag, historian, Star Wars fan, and fan, maybe the last one standing of the 1000 series rail cars. He's also the author of The Great Society Subway. Thanks to Professor Schrag for joining us again, and thanks to you for listening. Metropocalypse is produced and edited by Brendan Sweeney, Joe Warminski, John Olgolnik, and Zaid Shorbaji. Andy McDaniel is WAMU's Director of Content. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. All the other music on Metropocalypse comes to us from WAMU's Capital Soundtrack. This episode, you heard music by Sunwolf. Until next time, I'm Martin DeCamp. Thanks for listening.